Welcome to the Stuff of Stories episode 7. I'm Sarah Jane Rose and I'm here with Ian Pringle. And I'm Ian Pringle and I'm here with Sarah Jane Rose. In this week's episode, we sent Ian on a mission and he spoke to an author that's he, that he's worked with who deals in non-fiction. So he's sort of investigating how that works from a to- storytelling perspective and, and his journey. So he went to speak to Michael Brown. Ian, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I caught up with Michael, who I'd, uh, I narrated his book that he's done recently, which is called I Don't Agree. Um, and it's a book that he wrote about... Fundamentally, it's about conflict resolution. And I was interested in how he approached that because um, I didn't know that he had actually done a little bit of writing before, but I thought he hadn't really done anything at all. And he'd sort of come from business um, and he'd started to write this book. And so I was interested in how does that start and what was his process and, and what he went through. And uh, and it was it was interesting to hear um, how he went about that. Now, and the reason I picked him because he's just he's done actually done quite well. The book has got a an award a business book award so now it has a little gold sticker on it if you go into waterstones you'll see it there um so i was interested in talking to him about that process and so i started the conversation by just asking him what he was up to at the moment so the the beginning of the the interview is us talking about a book that he's working on at the moment actually and then we move on to talking more about the nuts and bolts of how he came up with the idea and wrote and then published the, the the book i don't agree another book as well haven't you is that right you... well i've certainly started thinking about another book and i do have an idea well i've got two ideas and uh, i have had uh, a couple of inquiries since the business book awards win to see if i have got another book yeah from other publishers who aren't harriman house yeah uh which is interesting and um so yeah so i've got i've, I've definitely got one one is neither of them are, I don't agree to if you know what I mean I don't agree I do agree for instance uh, <laughs> uh, but one one is a is a it's derived from a fairly casual attempt at humor in I don't agree in which I referred to people in my line of industry having um big personalities uh, uh, sort of large egos uh, and a sort of general look at me, look what I'm doing, aren't I great type attitudes, which I uh, referred to as ASD and I included myself in that. So, uh, you know, I have my own um, ASD, which is attention seeking disorder. Um, <laughs> and um, obviously that's slightly problematic in that ASD is also a medical term because autism spectrum disorder. Autism spectrum disorder. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is something I know quite a lot about as one of my children um, is on the spectrum. Um, but uh, yeah, so attention. And then I thought about that as um, a friend of mine who was a journalist. I thought that might make it a quite a good book if you think about the world as it is today and you think about, you know, the political spectrum, you think it was at the time when Trump was in office, and obviously glad that he's out now, but thinking yeah. about that, that the, you know, the sort of the, and it's related to, I don't agree, the, the sort of divide, you know, the left and the right and the and the, the extremes of each and, um, and about how it's all about gravitating attention towards your own particular viewpoint. Um, and and getting inc- ever increasingly bizarre and outlandish and outrageous ways of doing that, uh, and then you. That's look- interesting because it's a bit. That's almost kind of the. It sounds. It sounds to me sort of. There's something very individualist about that, isn't there? So there's a kind of like that. It 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 sort of it it's nestled within a wider debate of individual 
individuals versus cooperation or collectivism. Help, yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I do touch on striking a balance between individualism and collectivism in order for us to progress as a global society. In against the backdrop uh, that roughly thirty percent of the of the world, only thirty percent, is individualist, uh, and that is North America, so Canada, America. It, yep. It's large chunks of Western Europe and it's Australia and New Zealand and that's it. The remaining yeah. 70% are still collectivist in outlook and, in, you know, and of course we've evolved as collectivists. That's why we've come this far up the evolutionary train. So, it, um, so then obviously the needs of the group are, are more important to the, the, the rights of the individual um, and that's what's brought us up the evolutionary chain so to speak. Nice. And, and the individualism itself is a fairly new phenomena driven by the West, of course, and enshrined in organisational form in the body of the United Nations. Yeah, and it's that, kind of come since the uh, Industrial Revolution and everything a, else. Absolutely, in, in yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. so I touched yeah. on that. And then, and then go back to the, the ASD thing. Then, then you think about um, y young, young people of the generations that are emerging now in their interactions with technology and obviously social media, um, the internet online, etc., and thinking about social influencers, and micro celebrities. Um, I don't know if you know anything about micro celebrities. A recently named phenomena, where people on social no. act as if they are a celebrity, but they're micro in in context. That they're 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 behaving like celebrities, but to their own social groups and communities. And obviously, that you know, constantly posting about the minutia of their daily lives right. um, is is again. You could say that is a sort of form of attention-seeking disorder. Um, uh, it, it may not necessarily be a disorder. I'm just saying it, it's a phenomena, uh, um, uh, and, uh, and and thereby you might contrive of a book that is about identifying the symptoms in those you love, for instance. What you might do yeah. about it? Have you got it yourself? Um, yeah. And it, you know, and it is increasingly prevalent, isn't it? If you since roughly a couple of years after YouTube was born, which wasn't was was only this century, so at the turn of the century, YouTube, and indeed most, well, certainly most of most all the social media platforms we we know uh, and and possibly have a love hate relationship with didn't exist. A, a couple, so YouTube was two thousand and five, um, unbelievably, and. Um, uh, a, a couple of years after that, um, there were loads and loads of research about um, into the lives of children. And at that point, almost 50% of the, uh, kids in any given survey said that what they wanted to be when they got older was famous. And, and what's interesting about that is it wasn't famous for any particular talent. It was just celebrity famous. So right. the people who shout loudest, if you like, and yeah. you know, any one of those, I don't know, um, Big Brother auditionees or yeah, or any other talent show, or obviously in talent shows, you do get a core group who are talented, but you also get a much bigger, and thereby lies the compellingness, if that's a word, of, of the TV itself. You know, all those people are really bad at it and just want their elongated moment of fame mm. so it's okay, um, there's, lo there's loads in there isn't it because the, the question now i'm thinking is so what so what is it that has led to us or led to some people 
wanting to be recognised just for being me uh, in, a, in a kind of recognised way, rather than recognition because I have a, a, I do something that's particularly great or impressive or or useful or or, or caring or or you know it's incredibly sporting or athletic or record breaking or whatever, but instead it's just actually I just want to be recognised. I, I, in I, the stardom, the stardom type way for just being me. That's an interesting. Well, the, it's interesting. I think the interesting start point on, in, in an attempt to answer that question is is looking at pe- people who have been, who are genuinely, sort of globally famous, if you like, and 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 um, in all sorts of walks of life. And the motivation hasn't been the fame. The motivate fame has been a byproduct, in fact, that came along yeah. with being success. And that, but that wasn't the motivating. You know, that wasn't the goal. It was about excelling in a particular field of endeavour. Uh, now, some fields of endeavour lead more t- towards, the, you know, one of the byproducts. Some fields of endeavour um, uh, create global fame. I'm thinking of the arts and culture, generally speaking. Um, yeah. And other fields of endeavour, science, economics, philosophy, etc. Although you can have a globally famous scientist, Stephen Hawkins, for instance, um, um, you know, there's, there's a tendency not to drag fame along in its wake, is it? So, but but the but overwhelmingly across all of that is that if you when when those people are seen in an interview, it's certainly not about any any of their motivation wasn't about the fame, and possibly not even power, but yeah, um, but certainly about excelling in a, in a particular field, um, and having a bit of a talent as well to excel. And circumstances, so, of course, but so they, I, but I don't know the answers to what you know. It, it must tap into some um, um, uh, some kind of core uh, ev- evolutionary need, and it's become amplified, hasn't it, by I guess technology and how the world's got smaller through technology. But the book, so, but the book itself would seek to solve that. So I, the, yeah, be, yeah. the beauty of it is, I don't know the answer to your question, and therefore writing the therefore book. there's a lot to do. Would be the journey. And that, yeah. So I think that's a good point. That's a good jump off point to kind of go back to the beginning of your story, really, because if if what what it sounds like, some people write a book, particularly in nonfiction. Some people write a book because they've decided that all the stuff they know they want other people to hear. <laughs> And some people, or you know, and the, I guess it's a process, isn't it? If you're an academic and you've been working in a field for a long time, you've been developing this answer to some questions, and you've gone deeper and deeper and deeper, and in the end, you decide, right, I'm going to put that out there in a in a book that people, a wide number of people, might read and learn about the stuff that I've learned. I think that's useful. Or you approach it more like it sounds has happened to you that you that you go, I've got this question, and I don't know the answer to it yet. And that and that journey is gonna that that journey of answering that question is gonna help me develop a, a book and other people can find out the answer at the same time as I find out the answer. Mm. Is that where you started with I don't agree? It's a good question and it and it's got a lot of the answer has got a lot of threads into it, and I'm not sure I'll be able to weave them all together to uh, to be cohesive. But but just <laughs> on, on the ambition to write, I've certainly held that for for a long time, and since my late teens, is I, I can I can recognise that. And I, for for instance, in my late teens, I started doing one of those again, well before the internet was and, and online was invented. I started doing one of those correspondence courses, 
Uh, I don't know if anybody would know what the hell a correspondence course is now, <laughs> but I guess it's the early equivalent of online learning in that it's you, you write stuff and you send it away for it to be reviewed, marked, commented on, etc. You get that back, and it's a so it's a, a way of remote learning. Um, uh, it was interesting, uh, and so I was already pursuing writing from from an early age and and trying to get to a craft. And one of the things I found about writing and and, and again, it, 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 I, I could recognise it not only now in retrospect, is that it's difficult to be in, in the moment in life, generally speaking, isn't it? And, and, and all that, that, what's become a very familiar phrase to us, that notion of mindfulness, being mm. in, and, and, and writing, regardless of whether any of it gets on to be, become published, in, is something I find that creates mindfulness in me. So what I'm focused on, a blank page, um, whether that's a blank page, literally on a on a you know, a, you know an, an analog piece, a pen and paper type notion, or a blank page on the screen. There's something that sort of it's staring that creates a sort a feeling of mindfulness that sort of transports the rest of the worries of the world out of it. So there's the the drive uh, that that driver is is really it's re really big. The only other way I could describe that is I don't know if you're a footballer, Ian. I've been a footballer all my life not very good of course I mean I love football <laughs> if you're ever playing in a game and I don't mean necessarily watching it playing in a game and this will be you know it's different strokes for different folks isn't it but um but the, the mindfulness of that nothing else regardless of how good or bad you are the nothing else seems to matter and just it's all about the game your thoughts are totally in the moment your bodily actions your reactions it's just about that thing, and that's a, a mindfulness moment. I I'm sure it's not the same for many others, and you know, I'm not. I'm not particularly big on sports. I, I only really like football. I'm, I can take or leave most of the sports. And it, but, but it's you're just talking that, about a sense of flow, aren't you? Yeah, a sense of flow and mindfulness. Flow, yeah. And so it's mm. the only other. Uh, and and then the writing thing gives me that sort of sense, that transportation, if you like, to somewhere else. Yeah. Um. So so that was one one thing about writing, and then of course. Getting good at it is an, is another, and I'm not claiming to be good at it, but but getting well, you have won an award, so that <laughs> yeah. you know is some level of yeah, there's some recognise something so, about what you've done. I yeah, so, so yeah, which is very satisfying to think that others uh, are recognition of a of a, a talent I, I may have. Um, I, I think I've got a lot to do in in becoming a brilliant writer. Of course, I do. Um, so, but it, but it, but. But it, so I've intermittently over the years from that correspondence course, which I gave up, by the way, I didn't find it as engaged as I should. And it, I think it was just the method of study. Um, and also I was conscious of the fact that, you know, I was a typical 18 year old from a s small town. Actually, I, I ended up gravitating to London, seeking the bright lights and uh, uh, and, um, and and such like. But, you know, I didn't really have that much to say. Um, uh, that, so it was just, so the, the the life experience I was having as a teenager in a small town were pretty much the same as t yeah, teenage life um, uh, uh, for as long as you know, any other teenager in the world. So I, I, I was conscious that I didn't have too much of a differentiating factor to, to 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 write anything that was genuinely compelling. And of course, there are great young writers, but I just wasn't there. So I thought I'm going to park it for a bit and come back to it when I've got a bit more life experience because obviously writing is about the lived experience. And of course, my mind was then on, on fiction. Obviously, my first publication is, is not fiction. It, it's faction. And um, <laughs> actually, which is an appropriate word given the title of the book is I don't agree. Uh, but um, 
So I, so I, I, I came back to writing later on, uh, and I did over the years. I've been published in various places as a writer, sort of bits of journalism, and um, uh, and sort of established a way of, of 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 speaking, if you like, in the written word that was um, which became my style for I don't agree, which I, which I did go for a. I was supremely conscious in I don't agree that I'm not an ex I'm not a subject matter expert, so it was a lay person's approach yeah. to, to I guess broad terms, although it's much more than that conflict re- conflict it, resolution. So. It has a so I just did, uh, so I've read it obviously because I narrated it for the audio book, and the um and the thing I I noticed about your voice in that is it does have which I think is really suitable for that kind of book, which is a and this is a lay a lay person I'm no expert on writers and their voices but it has that sort of a dry wit and a and a and a journalistic turn of phrase so you're facilitating the information for the reader or the listener yeah that that seems to come across quite well to me it's quite a relaxed thing and you're right you you achieve that um sense of not being an expert but at the same time having an investment in the content yeah Uh, and that does bring me to the to the spare for the book and I do write about it and you, you'll recall at the beginning of the book about what took me um sort of diverted my path if you like in into getting a book out and and that was I ended up being reasonably successful you know, I'm, I'm certainly not a Branson or a uh, or a Steve Jobs or a Alan Sugar <laughs> or, or uh, um you know those sorts of people but um and um, in one of in my first enterprise that my first enterprise that I had was a shareholder in a business partner um, was was a really interesting experience. Of course, it was, but the, there were three shareholders, including myself, and 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 what became what you would think of as everyday disagreements, boardroom arguments over the direction of the enterprise became over a fairly elongated period of time what could only be described as, as, as a power struggle really um, a clash of egos of course and big personalities and opinion and that did culminate in in what I describe in the book as a a, 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 a very public fire fireworks display of white hot emotion on the office floor in front of everybody who worked in the business so not very dignified and um, and of course, from that flashpoint, there's not really any saving of the relationships, despite us collectively having a successful business. And um, and we did go into separate legal counsel. It was me against the other two shareholders. And and of course, the whole thing collapsed around that um, clash. Um, and it was the introspection, the self-reflection, self-examination about my own part in that particular demise, if you like, you know, did, was my, was my, was, sorry, were my partner's opinions as valid as mine? Did they have a viewpoint, which, although I couldn't see at the time, which I probably should have been more accepting of, 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 of course they did. Uh, and, um, and it was the acceptance of that. And the sort of the recognition of my own role in this particular um, uh, failure, if you like, uh, that led to the book because it was because obviously it was that conflict in business is fairly is an everyday occurrence. It doesn't always uh, end up 
as that situation I've just described. But of course, it is in it, and conflict in in life is 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 every day. And obviously, what the definition of conflict, of course, is broad and wide, and uh, and we all may have different understandings of that particular word. But the, the, but but my attempt to deal with my inner conflict first is what led to to the book, and then also not really being able to label the psychology, the behavioural science, the social science, my own biases and uh, preconceptions and unconscious biases, of course, as well, led to a sort of discovery of back in, into the science that, and, uh, in, in lay person's terms. And I thought, you know, these sorts of situations that I've been through every day, so maybe there is, there's a book in this, which is a sort of lay person's attempt to to lay that everyday conflict on light that blights all of our lives. You know, we, we find it difficult, don't we, to put conflict to bed anyway. We harbour mm. grudges and grief, pro probably for the duration of your life, if it's, um, if it, you know, if it's particularly, um, you know, a bad falling out. Um, Do you think it's, it's, it's an important aspect then? So you're talking, because you're talking about the story of, of the story and you're saying that you have a... Um, you had a vested interest in writing this story because you yourself needed to kind of un uncover for yourself some of the mistakes you'd made in terms of your communications with colleagues yeah. um, in the past. So, of course, so is, is that a useful start? Would you say that's a useful starting point for a story is kind of having that? Well, certainly the, the, the ca there's a catalyst moment there, isn't it? And if you, you go back to, it's not fiction as we've discussed, but if you go back to fiction yeah. and you need that catalyst moment to trigger as the platform for which your whole story jumps off. And, um, and, and that was certainly it. And, and it didn't immediately strike me that as a book because obviously in my journey of self-discovery, it involved writing stuff down, didn't it? So I, the whole thing about writing things down is that it commits it in some way. It's, it's one thing to realise a, a weakness, Sorry, for instance. Can I just get you to flick your um, headphones away from the microphone? Well, they're stuck onto the... they yeah. in the wire. There, oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, where were we on uh, before that, Ian? Sorry, it was... Sorry, um, yeah, a train of thought thing. I just knew it was going to be crackly. Um, the, so the we talk, we were talking about that that impetus to start the writing. Um, I, I, was con I was curious, actually, what you were just saying, whether you where you were beginning to just write down for legal reasons or just so you could keep train of what was going on in this dispute were you writing stuff down oh no the were legal journaling at all we do you do you journal is that a useful it thing was to a, do? yeah it was writing stuff down in context of my the, the legal thing no that's you know we, we're talking about after that we'd agreed to fire the lawyers because it was costing us a fortune anyway and you know the decisions yeah. we got to we could have made without without contracting expensive lawyers on either side to be honest i've got just as, a, as an offside i've got this theory that you know any coming any uh, any herd of lawyers should be referred to you know any coming together should be referred to as a conspiracy of lawyers because all they do <laughs> is wind up both sides in order to keep the fees coming in you know, it's so it's um um so yeah so so the collective noun for a group of lawyers should be a conspiracy, conspiracy yeah um, slightly better than a murder i suppose but, <laughs> yes yeah that's a that's crows isn't it that's crows yeah, yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah, so so it was writing down in order to keep track of my own, I guess, weaknesses and, you know, the in order, because writing stuff down is better. It's one thing to think, it's like a New Year's resolution. I think there's some statistics somewhere that if you write it down, commit it, enshrine it into writing, then it's statistically more likely to happen if you get going back to consult those New Year's resolutions. Um, and it, it was the same thing. It was, okay, so 
my role in because I, I was interested in doing another business. I did go on to do another business. I didn't want to make the same mistakes in that. Right. And yeah. they were obviously personality-driven mistakes and um, and therefore writing those down, but also writing them down in a, in a journalistic way, absolutely diary-type way, and also uh, trying to put some humour into it as well because you... Ultimately, you have to forgive yourself, and ultimately, to, and you need to, you know, to, to, in, in, on, in reflecting on your views to when you reread them X amount of time after the fact, you might want to put a bit of humor in there to, 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 to take the edge off it. Do you know what I mean? A little bit. So, um, so, so from that, it was only in that exercise that and then I thought I, I started sharing little bits of it, and, and people, particularly to my, to my wife, I read some of the. Uh, bits and uh, and you know and it it, be, it became something more. Do you know, it became a sort of uh, a, a, a journey, and the book mm. itself became a ten-step guide. So, in but it felt like I was walking up steps, and um, uh, yeah, and then from there it sort of unfolded out of that. Yeah, and I, and again, I wasn't motivated by fame or thinking about getting published. But the main motivation was to finish it. And um, <laughs> now you yeah. started it. Yeah, you just needed to yeah. get it, get yeah. it done. Absolutely. So did you know? All right. So what finishing? It's all very well, isn't it? You say, oh yeah, I've got to finish this. Well, if you're doing a, I don't know, a marathon, you know what finishing a marathon is because it's training and it's leading up to it and it's running it and it's getting to the end and going hooray and putting one of those silver foil coats on and getting a bar of chocolate mm. or something. Mm. There you go. You've run a marathon. But um, to 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 know when you've finished a book, I suppose, do you need do you need to know what the end is? And if so, at what point did you know what the end was or did, at what point did you know where you were getting to? I don't mean like, did you know what the last paragraph was, the last page, but did, at what point did you know where you were getting to? And what, let's get into the nuts and bolts of what you started to do then. Well, it, it's an interesting, there's a, there's a, there is a story in there. It is, it's, it is interesting. So um, it, I did have a sort of map. A sort of, you know, that I did think of it as a an, an arc, if you like, um, a narrative arc. But I did sort of struggle with that, and then in in two thousand and eighteen. So I, I think I probably started that that the situation that was the catalyst for that happened in two thousand eleven. So ten years ago, and. Um, and I started bringing it into book form around about or what you could identify. Say oh, there might be a book. It's probably about 2015. And um, I was firmly ensconced in a new business I'd started in 2012, and it was it was going really really well. And I'd started doing, and it's a, it was a business in the advertising sector, and I'd started doing articles, trade articles for um, lots of different publications that specialised in. Ad, well, at magazines like Campaign, for instance, which is a Haymarket publication, I did, I did quite a lot uh, for them, and, did, and in fact did a sort of ongoing series of blogs for them about the world of experiential marketing. And so I was getting, I was, I guess, crafting, if you like, becoming a bit tighter on what it was to write journalistically, albeit with a very specialist subject matter. And in 2018, the International, specifically International Women's Day 2018, um, a friend of mine who, who is the features director um, at the, or it isn't, um, it isn't a, wasn't at the time, but is now the features director at the Telegraph, was uh, in the editorial team at the Daily Telegraph. 
and I hasten to add, I'm going to have to put this, I'm not a telegraph reader, and I go the other way politically. But they were doing a, they were doing a feature on women in business. And it was a, you know, pull out supplement type thing, I understand. And then I think somebody in the editorial team said, we probably should have a couple of male voices in that as well. And uh, and my friend said, oh, I've got a friend who runs a business and I know that there is, is he, he does that. Um, it, there, there's no gender pay gap, for instance, and uh, the, the, the board is split 50-50. It's um, mm-hmm. f- male, female. Um, maybe we could get Michael to do something for it. And, and I did a, a 1,200-word piece for that um, series of features that they were doing, which I called Woman Up. Uh, and and um, uh, Woman Up became step five in the book, I Don't Agree. Ah, yeah, yeah. I remember now. Yeah, yes, yeah and um, yeah. and Woman Up itself, there's a, the, the general direction was about a couple of bits of research that I'd unearthed on my journey. One was one was really interesting. Um, in, 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 it was in, in context of business, and it was about the fight-flight response. Um, and um, the, the fight-flight response is obviously very, very famous and well-known to all of us, but it, it, it's fairly recent history in terms of the coining of that um, phrase. It was, done in the, it was coined in the, in the, um, in the 30s, uh, and it's 1932 to be specific, and I've just forgotten the name of the uh, lead researcher. I'm going to have to Google that. You'll have to put it on the... This will be embarrassing, mate, because I write about him in the... Um, um, well, that's right. I'll cut this bat out and it'll be like, oh, we just remembered it immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Or mate. maybe I won't. Maybe I'll leave this bit in because it'd be funny hearing us talking about you remembering it immediately. Well, that is... Now I've talked... Ah, oh, yeah. So now it's a whole <laughs> complex and then, Well, No, definitely. Well, I have got a very poor... One of the things about me is... Um, uh, I've got a very poor memory. So, and again, so no academic training. I've got that... Um, uh, you know the information. I don't retain it so well. It's always been the case for me. Um, right. I've got a creative mindset, so um, so I bring in the information, the stuff I need. I contrive some sort of creative build on that, and then discard it. Uh, yeah. And so that's that's a side question, then I suppose, because people, um, you know, will be listening to this, going, "Oh, can we write a book? Can I write a book?" Um, but I haven't had any academic training. I've not done. I've not studied English lit or whatever. Yeah, you know, absolutely. But, but yeah. So I'll come back. You, you didn't come from that angle. No, no, I didn't. So anyway, I've got the. the it's, it, it, it's come back to me. It's Professor Walter Cannon, and okay. um, anyway, there was some uh, research. Um, so it, it it was found much later on that all of the clinical research was um, that led to the coining of the fight flight response uh, was done on men. And um, ah. only, <laughs> and yeah. and then um, which was interesting. And then around about two thousand, lots of other scientists were uh, the, the year. Lots of the University of California uh, Professor Shelley Taylor um, were looking at other um, areas of female response to stress, and um, uh, uh, and they they had alighted on another phrase which was called tend or befriend. And which yes. was really, really interesting in that yeah. the, 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 the theory is it goes obviously fight to make a fight in ancient society, obviously with women being the prime, primary caregivers, 
um, to make a fight-flight response in a conflict situation would endanger, in fact, the life of both uh, mother and child or children. Um, so therefore, it, it, the, the Tendoff friend posits that the notion that women have a more collaborative, cooperative, reaching out uh, method of conflict resolution. Yep. It's not saying that they're not capable of fight or flight. It's just saying the first response isn't that. It's Tendoff friend. And this was backed up by a whole load of other research coming out round about the same time around a gene called the SRY. And the SRY gene was thought previous to around about the two, 2000s, was thought to only have one function. Uh, and that was to trigger the descent of the testicles in, in utero. So the, the, so the, the, um, the fetus became male at that point. And then it right. was thought that the SRY's gene had no other um, usage around that. However, it was then subsequently discovered that the SRY gene actually riddled the male body. It's everywhere, um, but including the adrenaline gland, um, the the seat of fight or flight, um, and women don't have it at all. Um, ah. the, the SRY gene, and it was those combination of circumstances or discoveries that led to, to to this sort of ten befriend outlook, and so I, I I transposed that into a business context, thinking about business culture, and mm-hmm. and, and and generally of, of the general view that most organisational culture is flawed because if it wasn't, you wouldn't have things like the gender pay gap or institutional racism or unconscious bias, and then thinking about oh well, what about so so men in business and women in business? What if and, and, and I backed it up with loads of other research about the tendency for female CEOs to be much more profitable, statistically mm. speaking, than male CEOs, which is all, and loads of that stuff exists out there. It's obviously fairly controversial. Of course it is, and it's great for an argument. Um, but, it, and, and, and the female CEOs had a much wider set of competencies, um, which also made them more, conscious of their actions and decisions uh, and its effects on the team who worked for them. Whereas, again, statistically speaking, the male um, CEOs were more, were, were, were more, were more, were, were, were risk takers. And again, obviously, there's, I'm talking in extremes here. And, yeah. and therefore, they were all about the early sale, getting to the quick evaluation of the company and selling on regardless of what happened to the team. So, so there was a more collaborative approach. So I just thought, well, maybe we can smooth out business if men can learn to woman up. So to, yep. to discover their tend or befriend capabilities or competencies and work in creating this in creating this argument so you're so because actually so we talked about sort of a question overarching like you know how do how do you stop this kind of conflict happening quite so much in business environments and then um you found you've discovered sometimes maybe accidentally just sometimes people point you towards it sometimes you discover it you find out this researching oh that's interesting how does that fit into this context how much in your mind is the doubter is so you have your point of view you kind of go yeah i get i get this i think it's absolutely right this is something we need in business you yourself have got a balanced business with equality at the center of it but um you will know that there's people out there that are not interested and that I'm just interested in this more broadly in non-fiction books. But, that sometimes is, that, I read enough- but, but that's interesting, Ian, because that's the purpose of the book, isn't it? It's actually, yeah. 
if you, you have a worldview, of course, it, 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 that, that there will be, because of the way the world is, you know, the diversity of peoples and opinions and cultures and beliefs, therefore people will be opposed to your worldview. How they express that opposition will vary from outright hostility to, you know, a mild remark, I'm sorry, I can't see eye to eye with you on that. Um, uh, but so the notion of the book is, of course, to saying, look, this is my view. It's not an exception. It's not necessarily right. Here is some science that may back up my argument, but with the full realisation that there is other science out there that may back up a counter argument. Um, and it, and so yeah. it, it's about working your, your way through that. And I think the language I choose in the book is really careful to say, this isn't right. It, I'm not saying this isn't fact. It, it may be opinion backed up with some scientific discoveries, but as we know, science changes anyway. So yeah. we may discover and base what we know about the world on a recent discovery in science, and then something else will come along some years down the line to shatter all that we previously all that we previously yeah because it doesn't feel when you read your book it doesn't feel I've read other books in sort of non-fiction books and sometimes they come at it you mentioned earlier sort of political political perspectives and sometimes you read a book and you go this is coming in with a really kind of quite far left perspective on this particular issue and as I read it I'm like this is great I love it I completely agree but um, I know there's going to be a wide number of people that just wouldn't even pick up the book mm. and are not interested and I sometimes go what's if writing non-fiction surely writing non-fiction or writing any book really to some degree is about change it's about the audience the, the the reader or the listener finding out something new and therefore change occurs and so you kind of and certainly in your book you're looking for change and what i felt with yours when well, i'm not being uh sycophatic here but it did it did feel quite nicely balanced and not too there was no sort of telling you you were wrong which yeah. is a tenet of the the yeah. whole point of avoiding yeah. conflict really but um but but other books you do and i just but people are successful with these books sometimes which have you know they just kind of go i'm playing to this audience and i don't care whether you agree with me or not this is the audience absolutely know. yeah there's loads of that yeah yeah they're, they're, they're preaching to the to, to the choir aren't they in in, in yeah. many ways so they, they recognize the target audience they want to sell to that yeah. whereas mine was about trying to I did have to do a marketing document for the publishing deal before we got to the publishing deal. So, you know, who, what books would this sit next to on the shelf and who is the audience? Presumably but, that's something you were pretty skilled at, being that, that being your background. For I'd like time. to think so, but I also recognised that there was a shortcoming in that, in that because cause generally speaking, I did want this to be for the world because it was about, okay, I'm going into... I sum it up in the back of the book. There's a summary about... Um, you know, to, to you know about the middle ground. Um, you know, you have to let, let's call it in out. You know, look at let, the, the person on the other side of the table. Let's let's look at that as a potential opponent in a negotiation. Um, but to really to, to fully understand what's going on, you have to get a really broad view of all the perspectives. There's your own perspective, but why has the person on the other side of the table arrived at their view, their perspective? And so you try and therefore have to. And it is a mental exercise and it is a creative exercise. What is life like if I look out, look out at life through the eyes of that person mm. on the other side of the table? What could I, you know, how could I get into them, look out and then therefore try to get a grip on their particular worldview? And of course, when you look out through something, you may not agree with everything that you see there through those eyes. Of course you won't, but you might get, get a greater understanding of what has bought 
him or her to that particular yeah. worldview at that moment. And, and then that might lead to respect. It might lead to, it certainly lead to greater understanding. Of course it will. It will certainly bring a coming together of views. Uh, and therefore, and that's the danger, isn't it? Then you come close together and you're both re reaching towards some no middle ground, which was previously no man, no man's land or no woman's land, no person's land. And, um, uh, and, and there's, there lies the danger, doesn't it? That, 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 uh, that there's a threat then to everything yep. that you've known and understood and, and thought about yourself because it's then been challenged because you've been able to put yourself in the shoes of the, of the other person on the other side of the table so and yeah. that's what it what what it what it what it's about and it was um and there's loads of mo psychological models where, where people don't tend to to do those things it um the, the, can the, we um sorry michael because i just i've been i'm into just conscious of time for yeah. this and also the the stuff that's quite good for um us is to also hear about the so the content of the book we've really got a good picture of that but the the the, the process that you went through so again sort of back to the kind of nuts and bolts you know just describe that for us were you sweating at home until midnight over your kitchen table uh, okay well listen that uh, was or, or were you, well, how how did you how did you go about the process of well writing? it was it was about honing in on the framework because what i didn't get to in that story because it came elongated about the subject matter in that when i after i'd published that article or i didn't publish it the after it was published in the telegraph um I underneath it there was um, I'd asked Vicky, uh, who was commission, who was the commissioning um, editor, to obviously put my byline what I did about the business I was running, but also to say that it was an extract from an upcoming book, and obviously knowing that I hadn't unfinished the book, and and then I did get a call sometime after the publication um, uh, from the publisher to say, can we see the book, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And of course, I hadn't got the book. I had mainly an idea. And what the realization was that, that the, the person on the other uh, end of the, uh, of the line said, um, a lady called Sally Tickner actually, um, said, that's perfect because we never buy a finished manuscript in the world of nonfiction. And we only ever buy um, or sign a proposal. And uh, being a marketing person, I thought, well, I can do a proposal. Okay. And, said, and so a proposal is literally, there's a, you have to do a chapter to prove you can actually write. Yeah. And, um, and it's literally, okay, so what is the structure of the book? Where's it going? And then just some bullet point descriptions of each chapter um, and how that might progress and then thereby create the narrative arc. And then the rest of it is a marketing document. You know, who is it? Is who will your book sit next to on the shelves? Who are the yeah. audience, etc. Um, and and so that actually gave me quite a focused. I thought, okay, yeah, now I can really do it in proposal form, and that that gave me a real structure. So, oh yeah, okay, and in that exercise, and it went through three or four different editorial meetings because it got rejected about three times. In it was three times, in fact, in. Um, in in three different editorial meetings, and each time it got rejected, there were little tweaks, and that you know Sally got back to me said, look, you know it's not worked. Here we need to do this. So there was a whole load of, and so that really uh, allowed me to hone in on the structure and the narrative art without actually populating it with any type of content. And then once we'd arrived at the structure that got the publishing deal, led to the contract, then I sort of had a proper roadmap, if you like. Right. Um, right. And, and at that point, you had a contract, so presumably there was a there's a 
uh, uh, there's a sort of certain amount of financial support for you to go away and get on with that job, or okay. or at least there's a kind of definitive... no. There's, there, I mean, that was one of the things that certainly financial support as we don't it wouldn't it wouldn't feed any. I mean, the the, the, the I, what I know and have learned the margins in publishing, particularly business pu publishing, are, are so slim. Um, that, that certainly the, any advance you might get would, wouldn't really be right. worth it. You know, you're talking, I did do loads of research after the deal about, and, and an average advance, um, was between 500 pounds and 5,000 pounds. Um, right. so, and I was running a very, fairly successful business at the time. So I, I didn't want to get into, I didn't want to take an, in advance because I wanted to do a slightly better deal on royalties because royalties yeah. aren't great either. I did all of the averages on all those sorts of things. And yeah, they, yeah. they were quite, um, uh, and obviously they were in, they favoured the publisher more than they did the author because it's the publisher who's, you know, the distribution network, the investment into the setting up of the book, etc. So I, I kind of get all of the reasonings. Um, so it was, it was, um, it was, then I did have a deadline to meet. Um, yeah. And, um, and that was, uh, it was no, originally November 2019, so we're talking about 2018 here. It became February 2020. Um, and, of course, that really focuses, nothing focuses the mind better than the deadline. But one of the beauties of the things that I did, I live in Brighton and work, my office is, was in London, and um, Southern Rail being Southern Rail. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Yeah, it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> that I'd always, obviously, getting on at Brighton, first stop, always, and the regularity of the trains meant you was always able to get a table seat. Um, and um, obviously, it got a hell, hell of a lot more packed as you went further down the line to Victoria. Um, so often would be the case that I would be travelling on that train, thinking there and back, sometimes for four hours because the delays were such. And, um, and obviously, I'd, so I turned that negative into a positive by doing being able to sort of phase out from the frustration, of course, of traveling on late running trains, particularly significant late. Um, and even when they ran on time anyway, which was, you know, that's an hour, generally speaking, each way. So that's definitely a couple of hours. And um, so it was, I was able to do loads and loads of, um, uh, of, you know, of really focused writing in that, in that period. So um, I love that. So, the, so the, there's three things. I just want to come back to something that you... Um, so, but for me, this like, so what you're talking about here is confidence, table seats and delayed trains. That's, mm. that's a kind of, that's the sort of three ingredients mm. besides the idea and the content that kind of, kind of lead to that. And you talked earlier being a young man doing a correspondence course, which in the end you didn't finish because you felt like you didn't really have anything to say. Mm. You were, you know, you're just 18. You've got nothing to say, really. You know, you've not been anywhere. You've not done very much. Which, interestingly, and based on the idea for your next book, there's lots of young people that haven't been anywhere or done anything that feel that they've got lots of things to say at the moment. <laughs> so there's a sort of change there. But finally, you do a lot of things. And you also go to, I think for me, it sounds like you take, you pitch something to people. You take a little risk, you pitch something, you throw something out there, then you get a bit of feedback, which feels actually fairly positive, which leads you to the to a stage. And, th and that that's something about that confidence, isn't it? And then thank you to Southern Rail, because they gave you a, a, a kind of writing table for, <laughs> for a few months while their, while their service was completely knackered. Yeah. So what a sort of brilliant mixture of 
decisions and accidental events that can lead to to a book yeah. Um, yeah. being successful in that way. And then, well, of course, well, there was, uh, a, you know, there was another yeah. thing to throw in there actually, Ian, which yeah. which which because as as I was getting towards the end of the uh, of the book, the the, the the deadline became sort of more lo loomed large larger in, in my mind, and um, I was. I, I, um, it's a separate creative exercise and a, and a separate story, but I play the saxophone. And mm -hmm. one of the things I ended up doing in my 20s was playing the saxophone professionally. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I came to London to, to do that, because the opportunities to do that particular line up in Grimsby, where I'm originally from, were, 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 were slender, if you like. <laughs> and, um, and I ended up uh, with, with some mates in the band and doing lots of um, lots of having some really really fun times um, of a rock and roll um, nature, which I'd probably best draw a discreet veil over. But um, um, but we did end up signing to a major recording <laughs> late. Well, we signed two deals. We signed to Arista, uh, who were a, a BMG label at the time, which then became owned by Sony, and then we signed to. Uh, uh, M MCA, which is big Amer music corporation of America, which then became Universal, uh, and so we had two major recording contracts. So there was a whole load, of, and I did the business. I, one of the things that led me to business because I did the contracts, I did the negotiations for for the both the recording contracts and the publishing deal. Because obviously we were writers too. So going back to writing, I ended up expressing myself as a song, a lyricist in writing the songs, and, and got two publishing deals. And um, and all of that was in my 20s, so again, a long time ago. And, and the reason I've mentioned it now, in, in 2019, we, I was offered a tour playing the saxophone of Australia, just based on my previous heritage, with a whole load of mates. And, um, and uh, we did nine dates out there. Now, in nine, Australia is vast, and we also did two dates in Auckland, in New Zealand. And um, the, there was a lot of flights. And... Um, um, there was a lot of time on those flights. Right. So while the rest of the band was sort of having a great deal of fun on in between the plays, drinking heavily because all of the, you know, that sort of, you know, stuff that you might have left behind in your twenties, all sort of re reappeared for these guys who were you know, away from the kids, late forties, early fifties. Uh, so interesting, interesting time. However, I thought this is a great. Obviously, the gigs were great and did you know all of them. Uh, sold out talking about two or three thousand seaters and uh but the the some of the you know we did we went from uh sydney to perth and that's a five or six hours flight auckland to auckland to sydney etc and i got so much work done on those flights for the book <laughs> just for the book um and again it kept me obviously i didn't do any of the drinking and all that so because i thought well i can't get pissed and write the book so I, I did all of that yeah so and that was brilliant that really got me to the deadline yeah so by the time i got back which was the two days before christmas because it was in december and obviously the world has closed down since then this was literally the back end of 2019 yeah. and yeah, i don't uh, know if it'd be lost on people that but that, that you your publishing date was february uh 2020 no it was so, july 20 it was july the first the paperback came out and um okay. yeah july yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah not the best time to right in the middle of covid yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so table seats delayed trains and rock and roll admin kind of what <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah great nice nice um Cool. And so I, I think that's a really nice place just to leave it, actually, in terms of that that story and that process. Um, you've got, uh, oh, the one last thing, I guess, is we've mentioned the awards. So you've got the business 
yeah. Business Book Award. What was the category that you got the award for? Well, it's a really good one. Yeah, um, I, I, I liked it. It's quite, it, it's, it, it's flattering. Um, leadership for the Future. Leadership for the Future. Yeah. And, and, award. So, um, and people can find your book by typing that in, I suppose. I don't agree. Harriman I don't House agree. My, yeah, Harriman House is the publisher, absolutely. And I've got, yeah. and uh, the later paper, I've got a little gold sticker with the award. Yes. So that was, um, yeah, that was great for the credibility, as you, as you said. And uh, obviously a jury of peers, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, gave it awarded it a goal. So I was, yeah, I was very. Fl- I mean, I, I genuinely wasn't expecting to to win it, and um, uh, yeah. So and uh, the, the actually, there's an interesting tale on that because they obviously that was meant to be a, a a live event that migrated to an online event, and and they'd done it quite a nice way. They got this lovely little platform. It's called Wonder. Um, and it was a sort of digital table plan, and you could go and sit at a table as an avatar, uh, and then you could tap on the shoulder digitally, if you like, of the person next to you, and then you had a screen-to-screen conversation, or you could open up to the whole table, and you could right. change tables and you know and go and chat to other, you know, it was all authors and other people from the publishing world. So that was really nice. And then they, for the actual announcements in the categories, um, they migrated to YouTube. And uh, and then everybody, at which point they forced everybody's camera and microphone off, uh, and they they just said, oh, you know, stay close for anyone who's a winner. And we, they'd also sent notes out; everyone had to wear black ties. So I was there in black tie in my kitchen, and um, and then got to our category, and I was just sat there in front of the screen, not really. And my my wife was in the kitchen with me, but she was sat off well, off camera, although the camera wasn't on, just off to the to the side and. And she'd bought a bottle of champagne, bless her, because she was confident that we might win. And anyway, <laughs> anyway, when uh, so because she was off, she didn't really hear what was going on because it was on the screen. And uh, and then so when my name was announced, I sort of did jump up and go nuts, and and I was gesticulating to my Katie off camera. She was going, "Have you won? Have you won?" And I was going, "Yeah, yeah, I've won. Come on!" Come on. And all these mad gesticulations. And of course, what had happened is they'd forced my camera on. So I didn't even know. <laughs> and so I was, it was so amateur. It looked, you know, when I look at it, I was thinking, oh God, everybody's just, you know, because I wasn't dignified. I was just all, you know, I was ecstatic to win. <laughs> and I was doing these sort of, come on, Kate, you know, and, uh, and I thought it was all on camera. And when I run that, you know, when you do, when you do lots of, uh, I've done lots of public speaking in my professional life and you have sort of media trained to do that in the sort of ways and techniques that you do. And of course there was none of that. And it's to come over with a certain amount of, um, present stage presence. If you look, you're, yeah, you're an actor, so you know. know what, but, yeah. yeah, but I think yeah. sometimes in moments like that, we don't want that. We don't want that. We don't want people to be dignified. We want people to be excited. So that's <laughs> yeah. a nice thing to yeah. see. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. Um, I think that's a that's a nice sort of finish up there. Um, Lovely. And it'd be exciting to hear what what you come up with next, Michael. And fabulous. Yes. Well, hopefully cool. we can. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, uh, there'll be no Southern Rail commute uh, for me to ride. No, it, so, sadly. Yeah. Who knows? But then, yeah, because you only got a walk. That was that was brilliant. It was so interesting, and I haven't done, I haven't narrated any nonfiction. So, um, from my perspective, I found it really interesting to hear sort of his his journey, and I love that idea that he started to write something. Um, to answer a question, you know, hasn't gone out, hasn't gone out from the beginning and gone. Okay, this is what I want to say. This is what I'm going to tell you all. It's like, hmm, I have this journey to go on. I'm going to write a book and see what happens. I thought that was really interesting.
Yeah, me too. It kind of uh, it did change my perspective on it a little bit actually, because I, I did think you don't have to be an expert to write a non-fiction book. Whereas I'd always come from this idea: oh, when I read non-fictions, it's some academic that really knows their stuff about this area and they're doing that. But actually, like you say, it's quite useful as a layperson to go, well, how does that work? And then just investigate it and write about it, and that, and that's what he'd done, and and then he'd put it together in this sort of step by step process. So it, in a way, he'd become more of an expert by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was really interesting, and I love the stuff he was saying, which is um a, the kind of the social media stuff that he touches on, and this idea that people can um become oh something fell over sorry uh become famous in their own little world which in his perspective, I'm right in thinking that he doesn't think that necessarily that's a great thing or that certainly the aspiration to become famous for the sake of being famous, which I think is probably something that I agree with. However, I like the idea. I think the idea that you can get a following in your own little world and create your own space now online is actually a really creative and useful experience because then you are potentially getting involved with other people's opinions and opening your world. I think one of the big problems that we have at the moment with social media and other things is that what happens is people are creating their own bubble and their world and they're just repeatedly getting the same information. It's like self-perpetuation. You know, you're, you're, you're having your opinions reinforced by people who have the same opinion than you. And actually, for a better world, we all need to listen to other opinions. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very interesting debate, all of that stuff, really, which is sort of beyond the idea of the, of the book writing, but that kind of, you know, what this, what did he, he described it as, um, uh, attention-seeking attention disorder. Oh, and, I definitely um, have that. Yeah, well, and then we all sort of get a bit more, because it's that thing of, I noticed it, the Tour de France is on the moment, I don't know if you saw that that thing in the Tour de France with the, a woman standing at the side of the road in the Tour de France and the peloton, this mass group of cyclists are coming along at quite a speed and she's not looking at the cyclists, she's standing at the side of the road with a sign that she's got sticking out saying, hello grandma, and she's looking at the camera and the sign sticking out, she's looking at the camera waving, the cyclists get, she knocks over about 20 cyclists some of them break bones are seriously injured um, because she's thinking about how in, how good she'll look to her grandma saying hello on the telly oh fuck and it's like that. so it's, it's strange that kind of moving into this to, to say hello to somebody who needs to be in this big stage it's like well you could yeah. have just sent her a nice card and said oh by the way today I was watching the Tour de France and I thought of you you know exactly and that moment um, doesn't have to be perfect I think one of the issues no. obviously with um, with that is you're trying to set up this scene and you're trying to make it perfect it's like just you know you can take a photo we don't need to and, and we often have that actually and the reason that I think it's interesting because I do think it's related to storytelling because I, I believe that the way that we um the way that we advance as human beings and the way um, to, to do that is to listen to other people's opinions and to, to take them on board. And storytelling does that. It opens your world. Um, and and so I think, you know, so I do, so I do think it's, it's related to that. And this idea that people become obsessed by recording a single moment and making that moment perfect when actually you need to live in the now. Um, and it's difficult to get that balance, I think, these days. It is, and um, I was struck by this, and I was talking to, I guess, people of a similar age to me and maybe a similar opinion, but there's been a, I don't know if it's changed now, but for a little while in the arts world and in the theatre world, everybody was making theatre about me, 
So like I um I make a theatre about me as a I don't know uh, bisexual transgender person or I'm going to make some theatre about me as somebody who's experienced this kind of and they're always just sort of putting their heart and soul on the stage and showing all the challenges that they've met and it's all very personal based theatre work. And I can see on some levels that's laudable and useful for other people who have experienced that kind of thing but also there's a part of me that just went but we're losing it's a bit dead it's a bit like there's not you're losing the story a bit because there is Martin Shaw talks about this um <laughs> talks about this kind of idea that the the you can have stories which are which are personal and psychologists tend to go into the into the sort of into the person and that internal world but storytellers go out and they make things so you know desires and fear become dragons and monsters and and I'm I'm a bit more interested in those stories I think so it, it is these this platforming is like what you're putting on the platform it, if it's just you well in the end I don't know how useful that is Mm. compared to those bigger stories that, that think, are relatable to more people. Yeah, I th- and, I, and I think that's right. For me, um, storytelling and of, in whatever th- is that, is that it should open your mind, a bit, whatever, however it does it, it should open your mind a little bit, show you something new um, or different. Uh, and, and, and that's what's important about it. And like I say, if everyone makes it about them, which is the problem with social media because it is about you <laughs> um uh, then 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 you then your world becomes very small so we so we somehow need to be sort of pushing through that um in order to be telling stories about more stuff if that makes sense yeah well, going back to this, the, what, that non-fiction writing i think um no, i think it's a really interesting conversation but that but what i just love that idea that there's always a bit of luck in these things, isn't it? Luck or bad luck. But he made bad luck good luck by by that uh, people will remember the Southern train crisis. And I just thought that was great. You know, he was having to sit on a train to London for three hours because it was so crap. And so he just write a book. <laughs> so it really, so it became, a, and I was thinking at the moment, we've got people quarantining, haven't we, when they come back from other countries. And there's been all sorts of problems reported about it. But you have to spend 10 days in, I guess, what is basically a travel lodge or something. So it's like, well, if you were doing that, it was like, well, hopefully you'd just start to sit and write or do write something. This would something. be a great opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, and obviously we had that with, um, you know, people who were being very creative during <clears throat> during the first lockdown. But also he took the, you know, it was interesting that he took the bad experience with his business as well and turned that, you know, he could have just sulked off and gone, right, that's that's complete disaster. Um, I'm never, but he's, but he's taken that experience and you know l- turned it into a a, a a book and and a creative process which which was yeah. really interesting yeah and he's not a man without humor so he kind of i think he the, no. he the humor comes across really nicely in the book which is cool okay and um, before we sort of end this i was just wondering we're here we're doing a podcast and but we've listened to podcasts as well so is there anything that you're listening to at the moment that uh, that people might also, like well. I have a confession, actually, which is sort of related because it's listening yeah. to stuff. Remember yeah. in episode, um, I don't know, two or something, where I, I briefly mentioned Clubhouse. My, I'd have got these other phones that I could get on Clubhouse, blah, blah. Anyway, I, got, I was yeah, like, I was a I bit can't... sweary about you having your phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, um, uh, but at the time I was like, oh, I just don't have time to be on Clubhouse. It's too complicated, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm now on Clubhouse um, quite regularly and I really like it. <laughs> So <laughs> I take it back. Um, okay. Basically, was my confession that I have changed my mind, um, which I do regularly. But uh, 
yeah, and it's been really good. I've been listening to lots of people talking um, about audiobooks and also there was like a book conference on it. Um, and uh, and actually there's a lot of stuff on there about talking about sort of uh, this idea of social media and the world we live on, but there's a lot of stuff on there about mindfulness and how to take time for yourself because we're all so busy now. And it's like you're constantly filling your life. If you're not, you know, on social media or doing stuff or blah, 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 you're constantly filling moments of your life. And like sometimes just stop like take some time and and be mindful take some time to make time i think like i i i I noticed this i was doing i was narrating the other day and you only get yourself in a bit of a stress and like you make more mistakes because you're in a stress and i just sat there for a moment and i've realized to do this now and i'm narrating it helps a lot i just breathe out and in for a while just a sort of fairly simple meditation technique and suddenly i go back to the text and i make far less mistakes so taking that couple of minutes really just to get out of that mindset change it go back to recording and otherwise just you're just so building better. up uh, oh. you know tension and uh, and get stuff more which frustrated. is not frustrated yeah. yeah well yeah. i had i was saying to you i had this episode where i had this blurry vision i thought i was going mm. blind and it was uh, it's called an aura migraine um mm. and i had to go and lie down and actually i've discovered that actually doing that in the day i put an um, eye mask on and just lie down for five minutes um and like you say and some breathing techniques and stuff sometimes you just need to like stop um just but anyway stop. yeah so i'm 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 no longer um uh saying bad things well, about clubhouse. Uh, i have also I signed it. up to to that because you have and i was and you said give it a go but i've done nothing more than put the app on my on my <laughs> phone and then get get really scared when it came up and started a meeting between me and you and i was like well, don't even <laughs> <want> a meeting. <laughs> What's, what am i supposed I to know, do a meeting oh god <laughs> So, um, so it's like the beginning yeah, of Zoom I, I, all over again. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm on mute. I don't know what to do. How do I unmute myself? Um, so but podcast-wise, like I've been listening to, um, so uh, slightly uh, mildly biased, but my friend Craig, who is Craig Dealey, who's a comedian and is in the Foghorn Improv Group, which is in episode four episode four, four. Um, and the side episode that is on I think, uh, that's another story wrong. told yeah. he's got um, a podcast and it's brilliant actually I'd, I should send it to you it's um, called Trish of the Day um, and it's just a, a character that he's created but it's incredibly well ed- edited and so he does lots of different characters in it he does all the voices himself um, and it's brilliant it's very funny um, so that's really good that's well worth a, an escapism Trish of the Day Trish of the yeah. Day so that's really good. Okay, and then I've just been catching cool. up with voiceover social because I've not listened to all of those. Um, and there's lots of really, you know, if you're in any kind of uh, vocal capacity in your in your career, um, there's lots of really really interesting episodes on there. Um, it's really good. It is a lovely podcast. And in fact, it's there was listening to. If you haven't listened to the yeah, thing, they did I was on listening AI. to the episode, the recent episode about which is about podcasts. So it's a podcast about how to make good po- podcasts and how to enter awards and stuff like that. So it's quite useful. Hmm. Oh, that's handy. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that afterwards. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, I've been listening to I've only one podcast as well. I've listened to two things. I started actually as a recommendation from an author that we were, work- were working with at the moment, whose little audio drama we were recording a minute ago, um, was he recommended listening to Pilgrim, uh, which was a program on uh, Radio 4, and I'd never listened to it. And I tuned in and started listening to it. I thought, oh, this is really good. It's really well put together. But I don't quite get what's going on. I feel like I've missed something. 
And so it turned out I had missed something. I'd missed seven <laughs> series of it. So there was a lot of information. And then I was like, oh, so where's series one? Of course, that's not on the BBC anymore. So I've downloaded that. And I found that you could, I downloaded it from Hive. So the first four episodes as a uh, audiobook thing, I was able to download from Hive, which I liked because Hive um, are UK-based part of um, Gardner Books, I think. And they are... Um, they do support local bookshops and things in some way. So I, th- I thought, well, I feel a bit better about um, buying audio stuff from them. Um, so, and that's really, really good. I've started listening to that, which is nice. And uh, the other thing I've been listening to is Martin Shaw, the storyteller who does a lot of writing and stuff around myth. He's an expert on myth. Um, he's been doing a podcast called The Smoke Hole. Um, and he. I listened to an episode recently of him speaking to Mark Rylance, the actor and director, um, which was great. The two of them have got brilliant stuff to say. Um, and Mark Rylance had some lovely things to say. And one thing that stuck with me was he talked about, they talked about this concept of um, if you made a good dinner yesterday, don't reheat it and serve it tomorrow. And this, the idea of, he was talking about, you know, so if he's playing Hamlet or something like that, and it goes really well one night, um, the next night there's always a temptation to reheat that dinner and, and play it the same way again. And almost inevitably that always doesn't go down as well as before. So I'm I'm really interested in that. It's about spontaneity and creativity and, and those aspects of performance. I talked about. It's a really good, really good program. And he speaks to lots of other fascinating people. Um, so I check that out smoke hole yeah cool yeah cool okay okay right well that's the end of that that, that's us done that's the end of that i've been sarah jane rose and i've been here with ian pringle and i've been ian pringle i've been here with sarah jane rose goodbye